0: I'm so glad that you're here with us tonight, and right here from the outset, I've got a question for you, okay? Are you a warrior or are you a warrior? I know. I know. It's a pretty pointed question. Uh, you may be thinking, listen, I just showed up. I'm just tuning in to try to get some encouragement and some inspiration. I don't know that I'm quite ready to make that kind of commitment. Well, you know, um... There's some questions that just kind of make you jump in and choose a side, right? Like, for example, um, are you bitter or are you better, right? Maybe you've heard that. Or are you a victim or are you a victor? Okay, so these kind of questions um, that make you choose an answer that you'll follow. Now, I will say this. You can probably find the most miserable person on earth and ask them, hey, are you bitter or are you better? And no one's going to say, oh, pick me, pick me. I want to be bitter, right? (laughs) So um, when I say choosing a side, I'm just saying you're you're looking to see kind of where you fall with this. Um, And and if I can be truthful here, um, we don't, I, I at least can say, I don't like to be given these opposite ends of the spectrum many times and forced to make a choice like everything is black and white you know I mean there are some things that are black and white right like are you a sweet tea or an unsweet tea person right I mean like and if you don't understand why that's black and white issue I don't even know if I'm the person who can help you with that but like that's clearly a black and white issue there's no middle ground on that you choose your side, you put your marker in the ground, and you stay there. But let me go back to my initial question for you. Are you a warrior or are you a warrior? And I know that, um, that there, there are a lot of layers of that question, a lot to think about. Um, because really, you can't be one or two the other, right? Uh, at the same time, you can't be both of them. You've got to either be one or the other. You can't be a warrior and a warrior. A- am I right with that? Um, I think we would all agree that yes, you're going to be one or the other, but but I'd like to stretch our thinking just a little bit here um, in that regard to fully understand the truth of that statement. Um, So I'll say it again. You can be a warrior or you can be a warrior, but you can't be both. And I'm going to give a a caveat to that. My caveat is you can't be both at the same time. Okay. and so what do I mean by that? What I mean is that I have known some people with powerful faith with supernatural faith and i've read about many people in the bible who have this amazing faith as well like the heroes of faith that we're studying about on sundays i'm talking warriors for god okay but do you know what i haven't ever met and i haven't read about yet that is a warrior who never has any fear who never has a doubt who never has a worry because you see, these, these are common emotions, these are common experiences that we all have, common struggles. We want to be warriors, but even at our best, we are fighting to keep worry at bay, right? Um, so, so today I'd like to speak a little bit of grace into your life. You can be a warrior, Or you can be a worrier, but you can't be both at the same time. And what I mean by that is that just because you have a worry, a fear, a doubt, you need to know that that does not disqualify you from doing great things in God. However, if you're going to step out in the moment and do something amazing for God, you can't be a worrier in that moment. Does anybody know that to be true in your own life? If you are going to take that leap of faith, you can't be a worrier in that moment. You just have to have the faith and act on it. You're going to need the peace that comes from God when you trust Him with all of your worries so that you can be the strong, courageous person He's called you to be. I'd like to give you another newsflash here. This is a day-by-day, moment-by-moment decision that you'll be making, okay? Worry worry and fear, or faith and victory, that's day-by-day, moment-by-moment. So what I mean by that is you can look back to that landmark when you gave your life to the Lord at whatever age you were, whatever point in your life, and that is a watershed moment for you, but that is not the moment in which you decide, are you going to be a warrior or a warrior? You decide that moment right now. You're deciding that moment while you're listening to me right now. You will decide that moment again tomorrow morning when you wake up with the fears, with the doubts. You will decide that moment again in two weeks when God calls you to do something and you feel hesitation. That is a day-by-day, moment-by-moment decision. You get to choose what you will do in this moment And when you see that you are making the unfortunate choice of worry over faith, then you have the opportunity, the privilege to surrender that to God and to trust him with your struggles. Even when you're facing worries, you can still be a warrior. So deep down, When you're honestly looking inside um, and you're saying, I want to be a warrior, but I still worry sometimes. In that honest moment, you can come clean. You can be real with yourself and you can be real with God. And you can say, as is said in one of the most famous scriptures in all the Bible, one of the most famous prayers, I believe, Lord, help my unbelief. Speaking of prayers from the Bible, we're doing this Wednesday night series um, that talks about prayers that move the heart of God, and I mentioned in a previous message um, how many years back I noticed that I was particularly drawn to prayers in Scripture. In my prayer time, I started praying these prayers over me. I prayed Jesus' prayers, David's prayers, Solomon's prayers, Hannah's prayers, Paul's prayers, and then some of those prayers became part of my everyday devotion and prayer time um, and continue to this day, and I felt like they were so powerful for me to learn from them and to try to follow that model in my own prayer life. You know, what I'd love to tell you is that prayer is always the right thing, and the Bible is always the place you should go when you need peace. Or direction so why not pray biblical prayers why not pray them over your life why not pray these prayers that are tried and true and tested over your situation and trust God to move on your behalf there are so many rich and deep prayers found throughout the book of Psalms. And I love to go there. It's a hymn book of prayers and praise that covers the full range of our emotions and our experiences. And one of those very powerful prayers is found in Psalm 131. This short and simple prayer has so much relevance in our lives. And for a few moments tonight, I wanna take a deeper look at it together. So I'm going to read Psalm 131. Um, It's just three short verses. Verse one, my heart is not proud, Lord. My eyes are not haughty. I do not concern myself with great matters or with things too wonderful for me, but I have calmed and quieted myself. I am like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child, I am content. Israel, put your hope in the Lord, both now and forevermore. This beautiful prayer is written by David, we know, um, and it's one of 15 psalms that are deemed songs of ascent, going up, okay? And these songs were sung when when they were going up to Jerusalem to worship, and they're considered so important for preparing their hearts to encounter God. This particular psalm it depicts a beautiful emptying out of. Um, that David prays um, of his of his pride. It's a, just a prayer of humility to draw him closer to God. And if you're like me, maybe you want to know the backstory to something, right? Uh, like I, if I always know um, like what was going on in someone's life when they wrote the song or when they wrote that book or whatever it was, I feel like I can relate to it. I can connect with it um, a little bit more. And so for this very short song. Um, that's what Psalms are. They're songs. It was a hymn book, a song book. Uh, we know that David wrote it, and scholars think they know why he wrote it. The most common theory is that David wrote it when King Saul was accusing David of trying to seal the throne away from him. Um, and then David wrote this prayer song to God to share that he wasn't seeking after his own glory, but he was simply trying to please God with his life. You know, Saul, with David, he had this two-prong attack. Uh, He was seeking, first of all, character assassination, you know, rumors and spreading around what a horrible person David was and what he was trying to do. And then his other um, uh, prong of attack was, well, traditional assassination. Um, you see, Satan was uh, Saul was fighting for the will of God with flesh and blood tactics, okay? That's what Saul was doing, and David was humbly surrendered to God's plan. David had a choice to make. In that moment, David could become a warrior or he could be a warrior. You know, the Bible tells us all about the battles that David won. He truly was a mighty warrior of God, right? We know that. We know about the bear. Um, We know about the lion. We know about all the cities that he conquered. But I will tell you, I believe that this passage right here, this simple prayer that he prayed, the simple song that he wrote, I believe that this passage demonstrates even more why he truly was a warrior. And that's because he knew how to humble himself. He knew that the battle didn't uh, depend on himself. It never depended on him. It never would. But it always depended on God. And so he had to stay humble before God, connected to God, if he was ever going to be victorious. That doesn't mean that he didn't have fears. It just means that he surrendered them over to God. You see, Saul failed to understand that even in all his power and might, he could not thwart the will of God. Somebody needs to hear that today. When you are called and you are submitted to God, there is no scheme from the enemy. There is no attack. There is nothing that will block God's plan. God's favor on your life. Is there anybody who wants to receive that? Why don't we just raise our hands, close our eyes, and thank Him for that right now. God, I receive your blessings. I receive your favor. I know that no weapon formed will prosper. No weapon formed against me will prosper if I am covered in you. Praise God. Amen. Now, now here's, here's what I want to say. I want you to know that I didn't say it would always be easy and that it would always be warm fuzzies, and that it would always be good times, right? David had to run for his life for a while. He absolutely did. But folks, no one can stand before the Lord. Not Saul, no one can stand against him. Not Satan, not you, not me. None of us can thwart the plan of God. And as long as we're on God's side, we're going to be okay. His will will be performed in us and through us. And that's what I believe that this prayer really is all about. It's about making sure you are on God's side. It's humbling yourself. It's emptying yourself of your own motives, of your ambitions. And you know, I think that um, Spurgeon described this best. um, When he shared that, uh, uh, speaking of Psalm 131, he shared, it's one of the shortest Psalms to read, but one of the longest to learn. It speaks of a young child, but it contains the experience of a man of God. In verse one, David acknowledges God, then he renounces his own pride and arrogance. He says, my heart is not proud, Lord, my eyes are not haughty. You see, David had already accomplished many things in his life to this point, he had already been chosen for greatness, but he didn't have a spirit of entitlement like so many people have today. Like it would be very logical for someone in his position to have, right? If you're if you're being ruled by the flesh, but he had a heart of humility that surrendered and submitted himself to God. He didn't think he was better than anyone else. And you know, we all know, if you know anything about scripture, we all know that David was not perfect. He was not perfect, but one of the things that I love most about David is that he was never too proud to humble himself. Even in his lowest points, even at his times of greatest sin, his darkest points in his life, he repented. He cried out to God. He tried to make things right. He didn't allow his pride or his shame or his status, or his position, any of this, he didn't allow that to keep him from the presence of God. He humbled himself. The second half of that verse goes on to say, I do not concern myself with great matters or with things too wonderful for me. This is the future king of Israel. If <laughs> He was saying, hey, if it's out of my league, I'm not worrying about the things that are too profound for for me to deal with, as, as another translation tells us. He didn't set his focus on self-promotion, okay? Um, or any position above what God had appointed to him in that present season. Folks, if you don't understand seasons with God, with your walk with God, you're going to set yourself up for a lot of heartache, a lot of struggle, a lot of pain. Why? Because God's promises They are true, they are real, they will come to pass, but it's in his timing, it's in his season, and David knew that. David didn't seek after things that weren't God's timing because he was submitted to God and submitted to God's will. Jesus taught us to accept a lower place and to wait patiently for God to lift us up, and that's what we see David doing right here. Listen, there are godly aspirations and then there are selfish selfish ambitions. We know that, we know that to be true. And and I would say that uh, the truth of the matter is, even things that start out as godly aspirations, unfortunately they can lead to selfish ambitions, right? If we get focused on power and position, our motives can get mixed mixed up even if we had a pure start. Um, How can you tell the difference then? So how can you tell the difference? Well, the way you can tell the difference if it's a godly aspiration or if it's a selfish ambition is to look at your focus. Where is my focus? Is it on what I need, what I want, what my goals are, or is it on what God desires from me? And sometimes we think the two are the same. And sometimes when God doesn't work it out the way we want it worked out, the timing that we want it worked out, we stay holding on to what we think. We still come to God and uh, still hold on to these things, the timetable that we have, the prayers that we pray, the things that we think God should be doing. But the true test, the true test as to whether you've got godly aspirations or you've got selfish ambitions, that true test is this. Are you willing to sacrifice? Are you willing to surrender your desires at the altar and wait for God's desires for you? Because that's the true test, right? Okay, let's keep reading. Psalm 131, two says, but I have calmed and quieted myself. I am like a weaned child with its mother, like a weaned child, I am content. Instead of chasing conquests and pursuits, David was determined to find serenity of the soul. David understood that there was nothing worth the cost of peace in his life. And so whatever he needed to do to be right with God and to be at peace with God, David was absolutely committed to doing that. And the language that he uses in this verse, it's very interesting as well. David, this mighty warrior, he likens himself to a toddler, a weaned child and he even repeats it for for, uh, for emphasis sake here. Um, he's talking about a child um, in this position in this in this role with her mother, but it relates to him and I'll tell you it also relates to us as well. Um, you see a child who is not yet weaned, that child embraces his mother, really, just kind of mostly with with a primary thought, right? Um, that's a food of his immediate needs being met in that moment. But a wean child, a wean child is different because the mother is no longer that sole source of sustenance of, of nutrition for the child. So a wean child, when he embraces his mother, it's out of desire for love, for closeness. For companionship you see David he was content simply being in the presence of God when a child is weaned from nursing it can be it can seem very strange to that child um, it could seem very troubling and terrible for that child he can wonder what's going on and why 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 is this not happening like it happened before um, like the entire nature their relationship is changing but weaning we know is necessary for a child's development right Uh, the weaned child comes to understand that the denial of one of these gifts from mama uh, it's not a denial of mothers of the mother's presence and this child is able to grow in love um for the mother herself just for who she is instead of simply loving her for what he can get from her. And that's a powerful lesson about maturity in God and how we can relate to him. Amen? This psalm then, after laying this out, it closes with faith that comes from that kind of maturity. Psalm 131 verse 3 says, Israel, put your hope in the Lord, both now and forevermore. You see, David speaks a word of encouragement to Israel. It's born out of his own experience. He says, let God's faithful people hope and trust, not in themselves, not in their wisdom, not in their power, but in Jehovah God alone. And when you do that, he will take care of you. You know, I love the fact that when David is humbled, and when David is submitted to God, his immediate thought turns to God's people. It's not just for himself. It's not just for his own protection, but he is turning to the people of God to encourage them in their faith and to call them to live in the hope of the Lord forever. When you read this, I really hope that it sparks something in your soul to crave this kind of peace, to know his peace, to know his rest, to know his comfort. You know, God makes all of that available to each and every one of us at all times, but we don't always receive that from God. There may be a number of reasons why my soul may be disturbed or your soul may be agitated, why our souls cry out, um, rather than feeling that quiet, that calm, that restful peace in God. You may be troubled, like David is, by someone else. It may be your own doing the consequences of a guilty conscience. You may be worried about something. You may uh, be envious of someone. You may be distracted. You just may simply be exhausted, okay? There are so many reasons why rest and peace elude us but I want you to know that God wants you to have that quiet heart that trusts in him and he wants you to trade your anxiety for his peace so here's here's what I would say would be the million-dollar question of tonight's message how do we live out this powerful prayer of David how do we find contentment in God and I would tell you it starts with ridding ourselves of pride. Now, now, remember I talked about warrior and warrior and I said, hey, that starts at an altar. <laughs> that starts when you first give your life to God, but that's a moment by moment, day by day. That's a decision you have to make every day. I'm telling you folks, I wish I could tell you that you could just lay your burden of pride down once and for all and move on and never pick it back up again. But we are human. We are flesh. And so it, that, that, that's kind of why scripture says to die daily. It's the same thing with pride. If we want to live this out, we want to live out this prayer, we must die daily and surrender our pride to God. We must humble ourselves and become like little children before God. You know, Matthew 18 uh, verses 3 and 4 tell us, Powerful uh, truth in how we apply this to our lives as well. Um, Jesus said, I tell you the truth. Unless you turn from your sins and become like little children, you will never get into the kingdom of heaven. So anyone who becomes as humble as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Wow. Wow. That wasn't an optional thing. That wasn't just a nice metaphor. No, he was speaking sincerely that that's the kind of humility. That's the kind of walk that we have to have. Pride is absolutely the main obstacle to our relationship with God. Pride is what caused Satan to fail. Pride is what caused Adam and Eve to listen to Satan in the garden. Proverbs 18, 12 Says before a downfall, the heart is haughty, but humility comes before honor. You see, the proud heart that has to do with elevating my own desires in um, my own heart. Elevating it's really just elevating what I want above what God wants for me. That's pride. A haughty spirit is a little bit different, um, it has to do with pride in relation to other people. So, constantly comparing yourself to others trying to convince yourself in some way that you're better than someone else so that you don't have to fix something that you know you need to fix about yourself, right? Uh, That's a haughty spirit. Um, It it could be putting other people down. Uh, The proud, haughty person looks, compares, competes, and is never content. But Psalm 131 gives us some amazing keys To overcoming pride in just these three short verses. The first is practice humility. The second is learn contentment. And the third is then go and live in hope. That's what we get from this psalm. That's how we can live that out. Those who practice humility before the Lord, those are the people who find contentment and rest. I'm not saying those are the people who are trouble free. My friends, that's simply not what's going to happen here on earth. That's not the life that we're going to live, whether you're a believer or not, but you can have peace in the midst of your storm. You can have calm and you can have rest. When you, when you do that, those who practice humility before the Lord, they have contentment. When we stop the rat race, we can hear God's voice. Many of us You know, we've all kind of been forced to press the pause button, but I'm wondering, are we still on the hamster wheel? Are we just waiting, just waiting for the door to open, for the chute to open so that we can run right back out to that harried, hurried, frantic, frenetic pace of life? Is that where we are? But are we truly looking for contentment of the soul? When we stop climbing that ladder and when we start bending our knee to His Lordship, that's when we will have contentment and hope and part of this part of this is just being still before him and acknowledging that he is god and i am not part of it uh, part of humility means that i am willing to admit that there are things i cannot do there are many things i don't understand and that's okay because my walk is humble it's not proud. I'm not caught up in greatness or achievements or accomplishments. If those things come along the way, if God opens doors and honors commitments or work or things like that, that's great, but that's not the goal. The goal is not the gold star. The goal is the journey in Christ. That's the goal, and um, when I'm not caught up in these things, I can ask God for help. I can ask people for help. I can humble myself. Humility means that I don't have to be God. Aren't you grateful for that? Listen, y'all, I'm giving some of you the best gift you've ever received. I'm telling you, you don't have to be God. You know, you just need to get off the throne and make room for him. Let him be on the throne. The Bible says you can go to sleep in peace knowing that he is working even when you can't see it. Humility and contentment those are things that give us the rest that we are all longing for. And it's exactly what our Savior promised us in Matthew 11 verses 28 through 30. He says, come to me all you who are weary and burdened and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You know why we're called to be gentle and humble? Because that's what our Lord is. And He takes our cares. He takes our burdens. He takes them on. And He exchanges that for peace and for love and for contentment and hope. Do you want to have a quiet and restful soul? then you need to confess your pride before God. You need to repent of a proud attitude toward others. You need to let go of the need to know it all, to understand it all, to control it all. You need to practice humility, to learn contentment, and to live in hope. Because when we practice humility, we will find contentment and peace. Let's pray right now. Dear Lord, these prayers, I pray that these prayers are rocking our lives. I pray that they are shaking us to our very core. I pray that these prayers, God, are stirring our souls to see that there is so much more of you that we need to be pursuing. God, I pray that these prayers will show us how to come before you, how to humble ourselves, how to surrender ourselves before you. God, we humble ourselves. Forgive us of our sins. Forgive us of our pride. Forgive us of everything that is not like you. God, save us from ourselves. We want your peace. We want your goodness. We want your contentment. Lord, we give up our own selfish ambitions. We give up things that would bring us praise and glory. And we give that glory only to you because you will not share your glory with man. We surrender that to you right now. Help us walk in our destinies, God. Help us to surrender that worry and raise us up to be mighty warriors in your kingdom, to pray prayers that move the heart of God. It's in the matchless name of Jesus we pray. The church said in Jesus' name, amen. I pray that God blesses you this week. His hand is upon you, his favor is on you. We look forward to seeing you back here again Sunday. We miss you so much. We love you and we are covering you in prayer. God bless you.